0: Hello, and welcome to So, What Do You Do? My name is Colleen McClellan. It's a show about specialty food items that you can buy at Whole Foods and then cook in the microwave. No, it's not. It's a show about jobs. Today's episode is with Laura Stein, co-founder and director of something here in New Orleans called Dancing Grounds. It started with hip-hop classes in Laura's living room, and now it occupies a beautiful converted double shotgun house on St. Claude Avenue in the Marigny. Laura has done it all. I'm also not totally convinced that she has slept in the last five years. Laura, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. I know that you are the executive director and co-founder of Dancing Grounds, and it has changed a lot since you started it. What does your day-to-day look like currently? My day-to-day looks like a lot of meetings right now.
1: Um, So whereas when I first started the organization, I was teaching... A lot of the classes and just doing a lot of the groundwork of what it takes to start up a nonprofit now it's a lot of meetings mainly because we have a staff which we didn't at first so managing a staff requires a lot of communication so um, a lot of staff meetings a lot of external meetings with our partners a lot of work on my computer as far as grant writing and right now we're going through a strategic planning process so it can really be anything from the nitty gritty editing a newsletter to the biggest picture of like what is our three to five year vision and what are our values. Yeah.
0: And since a lot of it is sort of after school programming and evening classes for adults, what does your time look like? Is it, do you have sort of a nine to five carved out for yourself or do you do a lot of evening and? early morning type stuff there's definitely no
1: nine to five dancing <laughs> rounds for anyone uh, the studio operates from five thirty to 9 in the evening but i i pretty much work from 8 a.m to 8 p.m every day and then i am also working pretty much all day on the weekend too how um, do you, so I'm you know? i'm ashamed to say i'm i'm this is my biggest thing right now if that's what i'm working on i mean I will say that we're so fortunate to have grown to the point where we have more staff. So we have a studio manager who's amazing. So I don't have to be at the studio every night. And um, I'm probably actually there less than... like I would like to be there more taking class. Um, but by the time it comes to the end of the day, I'm pretty spent. So I am asking myself that question right now. How How do I not burn out? I mean, it's a very intense thing to run a very quickly growing organization so I think a lot of people I think have a sense that it's really glamorous to start a non-profit it's like so cool and it is and it's I feel so fortunate to you know be doing what I love and we talk about that all the time as a staff just we feel so lucky to be around kids all day around adult students and just so passionate about what we do but it is it is full-on so That's the life you sign up for in the nonprofit world.
0: (laughs) To backpedal a little bit and maybe answer the question of what, what motivates you to do all these hours? What compelled Mm -hmm. you to start dancing grounds in the first place? So I dances
1: the love of my life, which I still say, even though I just got married (laughs) Um, and I moved here from New York about five years ago, and really it just came out of looking for places to dance and not finding a lot of classes, particularly in the genre that I have studied, which is hip-hop, and um, and just really wanting a dance community. So when I first moved, I had been living in a tiny apartment in New York, and I was in an actual house, so every room looked like a dance studio to me, um, <laughs> and just kind of bought some mirrors of the Green Project, and started teaching an adult beginner hip-hop class as just a way for myself to get moving and um and as I was meeting people and they were asking what I you know what I do with my free time and told them about dance they were really encouraging me to start teaching so so that's how it all started and then through that I just met so many incredible people from the dance community here and we would just have long talks in my kitchen about you know what how the dance community could grow more and like how to build an infrastructure and how to connect people to, to collaborate more. And so that, that was really the founding for it. Every, everything has been extremely organic. So there was no plan in my head or any, like I'm moving to new Orleans to start this thing called dancing grounds. It was really just um, born out of all of our love for dance, a really wide network of people. and and as um, the co founders from louisiana and so she was really integral in introducing me to a lot of local people and she always joked that um every louisiana needs a new yorker to help them put a heavier foot on the pedal (laughs) you know so like the rate at which i am just used to doing work was just like very extreme because i lived in new york city for eight years so i think so we'd always joke about she's like wow you're doing things so fast um so I think that, you know that was part of it too, just having like an orientation of being in a really fast-paced city, um, and then coming here and, and finding that because there's so much that the dance community needed in terms of infrastructure and um, kind of community building, it was it was pretty quick, way quicker than I expected. So,
0: what was your yeah. original impetus to move to New Orleans, if not if not this? Um, I
1: was really just over being in the New York hustle and ironically wanted to work less. (laughs) It was really just having visited here and, um, wanting to be in a really culturally vibrant place with a more authentic community of artists and be in a place where you could actually make art and, you know, and have that, have a little bit more time to do so and have that space. So, and also just the fact that people talk to each other on the street. I mean, the first time I came here it was like this feels like my place. I've always felt like a freak in New York, so I was always saying hi to people and talking to them. <laughs> and and then I came here it was like, Oh, this is a land where everyone talks to each other. This is this is amazing. So
0: Well, I like I like how you described having such a wide network of people making the idea together, which mm-hmm. I imagine is part of why dancing grounds is so successful is that it, it wasn't just a wacky idea that you had and you came here and like bulldozed it into life it sounds right. like it really it was born out of necessity a mm-hmm. little bit could you tell me more about what you did beforehand and how that has sort of shaped your career with dancing grounds yeah
1: so i have worked in the nonprofit Sector, which is a weird thing to even call it a sector, but the social sector, the
0: social sector within (laughs) nonprofit organizations,
1: and a little bit in government too. For since graduating college and have a master's in public administration and nonprofit management, my focus had always been on education policy, and I was a real big research geek when I first left college, and then I've kind of moved. into more direct service work because sitting in front of a computer all day is, um, you know, a lot of people that do that are doing really important high level, higher-level policy work, um, but it's hard to kind of feel your personal impact when you're doing that, that type of work. So, so kind of at, in New York, started working more and more with schools, um, with teachers, with kids, um, and at the same time went to grad school um, and so I have a really good foundation for understanding organizational management and financial management. I always say the most valuable course I took in graduate school was intro to nonprofit finance and just learning how to budget and read budgets and balance sheets. And yeah, so then I, after grad school was the Um so yeah. what was
0: your degree in for graduate school? It's
1: a, it was a masters in public administration with okay. a focus on nonprofit management and policy analysis as well. <laughs> Sounds Standard. like real light work. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> While working full time in New York City. Yeah. Um so that it was full on. And then after that I threw the Education Pioneers Fellowship, which is actually now down in New Orleans as well. It had just It was in its infancy in New York when I participated, but found this national nonprofit that wanted to open um, an operation in New York. So I was their founding regional director. And so with that, I got a lot of experience with starting a program from the ground up and what it means to just build relationships and community with people in that way. And then after that, I moved to Cambodia for six months and that was where I kind of started to shift into dance being my primary career so I was working for a women's labor rights organization doing quote-unquote capacity building which basically just meant grant writing and doing things in English language that people needed Um, and at the same time I was volunteer teaching and helping start a girls hip-hop program
0: why Cambodia? Um,
1: I did it through a, a program, the American Jewish World Service, and was placed there, so there was no... It was kind of like throwing a dart in a map, and, <laughs> um, and it was a, such an incredible experience. And this particular organization, it's really grassroots community center, focused on dance and music production, so...
0: You have uh, the funniest mix of regimented, codified education and work, and like totally off-the-wall like, whims. this is It's so funny. I've never interviewed somebody who had both of those things at the same People have been, you know, whimsical and sort of right. driven by impulse, and people have had these really straightforward paths, but it sounds like you've kind of had both at once. Right. Anyway. I think it was, like, a slight, a little after-quarter-life
1: crisis yeah. situation. I was, like <laughs> really on a track for a long time, and then with Cambodia, I just felt like I needed a total shift and just a new experience. And I love being in a position of feeling totally challenged and being in a new environment like that is extremely challenging. So, and rewarding too. So when I moved back to New York, I found a job at an organization called Dance Wave, which is based in Brooklyn and has um, a pre-professional youth dance company that works with professional choreographers from Mark Morris and Twyla Tharp or Bushwoman just runs a gamut of incredible choreographers, incredible youth work, um, and just learned the systems of what it meant to run a dance organization. And then I was done with New York and came down here. So kind of, I always say every, I really believe that everything happens for a reason. And you don't know what all the things are that are preparing you for the next thing until it's already happened but looking back at my career trajectory I just like everything has led me to this point so yeah
0: I like that a lot what do you view as sort of the biggest challenge in what you're doing now Mm -hmm. even given all the experience that you've had
1: the biggest challenge by far is fundraising and unless it's funny i was just i'm participating in this executive directors institute through the great new orleans foundation next week and we just had a call yesterday where they did this amazing poll everywhere have you ever done that Mm-mm. you can virtually poll people instantaneously and see so they were asking How many years have you been in your role? Where are you from? All these. Then they said, "What is your most favorite thing about your job?" And it was a list of five things that executive directors do. It's like strategy development, uh, managing people, fundraising. Zero percent of people said (laughs) fundraising. Managing and zero percent said managing your board. So it was just so incredibly because when people Mm -hmm. like me get into this work because they're passionate about the programs, right, and so. You know, when we first started, I was just teaching dance and performing with this community of amazing people, and throwing these incredible events with visual, in collaboration with visual artists and all these like talented women, and um, and it was just so it was a lot it was a lot of fun. And now it's become a lot of pressure because you know once once you grow, you have to sustain that level of growth and. And I think, you know, we're really fortunate to have a program that hasn't earned revenue stream, so we're not totally reliant on grants and individual donors, but we do still need that extra third of our annual budget from that source. And you can reframe fundraising as this is fun. It's so fun because you get to tell your story and talk passionately to people about what you do. But I think there's just so much anxiety too, especially being responsible for payroll, right? Like, you're the person responsible for people's livelihood. Right. Um, Like, those are the things that, even having gone through a program in nonprofit management, they don't... It doesn't connect at all, like, what the job actually is, uh, as far as just the, the amount of responsibility, you know? And the responsibility to our community and our constituents and our students and so definitely fundraising managing people is just it's something that you just get better at over time and I don't think any class can teach you how to do that so that's that's been a challenge but a a fun one that I'm kind of getting more excited about getting better at yeah I think the other thing too is just kind of this social exhaustion of The varied amounts of people that I interact with every day. I mean, I can go from being in a classroom of 25 fifth graders to being in a meeting with a council member to having a difficult conversation with a student who has a complaint about their membership package to I mean, it's just it runs the gamut. And at the end of every day, I just look back at the day, I'm like, I can't believe the wide variety of things that have happened and just how much social energy it takes to be talking to people all the time and problem solving.
0: And, um, yeah. How do you, you mentioned that you just got married and Mm -hmm. how do you balance that with your, your personal life? Fortunately, my
1: husband also runs a small and growing nonprofit arts organization, so we're on the same page as far as our schedules, and we have a really incredible partnership, and both of us, I don't want to say we put our careers first, but we're, (laughs) we're used to being in a mode of our organizations being kind of like our babies, so... So we're both very low maintenance partners and we kind of see each other for maybe an hour or two a day and keeps things fresh and exciting and <laughs> there's no, and that's kinda of how we do it. So I don't know. I mean we just got married a few months ago, so we're still we're still figuring it out. But I mean overall it's just it's incredible to be especially as a woman, to be with someone who is has doesn't have any sort of like traditional heteronormative expectations of like what I should be as a wife partner or whatever like our household responsibilities are very equal and yeah so I don't know someone said something to me the other day about well are you stressed out now because you must be having to cook for your husband too and she's like what decade are you living in (laughs) (laughs) no um Yeah, and it's amazing, too, because then we get to share all the joys of what we're doing with each other, and um, it's just a really amazing mirror to be able to talk to him and be able to reflect on my day. Well, there's an empathy there
0: that you won't necessarily find in other people. I guess I ask because I'm someone who can be very on and very social and very, you know, I can do those, like, nine different kinds of meetings in a day if need be, but I'm also someone who, when I'm done, I'm really done. Like, once my once my sociable tank is empty, it's there's there's no like secret storage somewhere. I just have to go home and be alone. <laughs> and I feel like that can be sort of an occupational hazard mm-hmm. in a position like yours, especially combined with what we were talking about earlier about yep. about burnout. What do you what reinvigorates you about what you do and what what makes you mm-hmm. keep you know. Getting back to the grindstone every day.
1: Oh, so many things. Our, our kids, our youth programs are just a constant sense of purpose. And just, this is why we exist, right? To kind of support their growth. And, and it just also reminds you of being young and of that youthful feeling and passion about dance. So, like, we just had our summer camp which is four weeks in June, and the kids are in the building every day, and it's just such a joy to go to work and be with all these different personalities, and especially a lot of the kids now. I I met teaching them four years ago, and they've kind of followed Dancing Grounds and um, and our teachers, and they're growing up, and we know their families so well, and so it's just the the sense of family and community it just keeps getting deeper and and bigger so that's great and I've also recently been so inspired by our staff especially just people's ability to grow and learn I just feel like I see everyone getting better and better at their jobs all the time and and that's just really amazing to see also because they're all you know coming in at various points in their 20s so they're going through a lot of shifts in their own lives and it's just it's fun to kind of watch that and and see that I mean we have pretty much 100% staff retention so we've we've all been together since the very beginning and everyone was volunteering for the first few years and we've kind of slowly been able to create opportunities for people to be in paid positions so it's just I just I value them a lot and then too just just to give you an example so i got an email yesterday from a woman who was sharing that she feels really out of shape and um has always loved dance and has never taken a dance class and she went on our website and we felt just felt like this was a place that she could go and not be um self-conscious and and try moving and that's also why we exist, you know, so just being able to communicate with people about stuff like that and be able to respond and say, yes, we're your place, come, change your life, improve
0: your mental health, improve your physical (laughs) health,
1: like dance is such a
0: gift and yeah, so all of that, all of that. How do you, you mentioned that you have this great staff retention, which I think speaks really well of the organization. Mm -hmm. How do you avoid... Um, founder syndrome and what you do. You know, how do you make sure that your vision or your ideas are also you know, interfacing well with the community and the needs that Dancing Grounds is trying to meet? Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> it's funny because when I bring this up, everyone's like, "No, we don't want to talk about the day that you're gone." Oh, yeah. I, I always joke it. Well, guys, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, we need a plan. You know, and i like. <laughs> are you kidding me? Really? It's like, look both ways, idiot. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've been really trying to create more of a shared leadership structure and it's definitely been a work in progress. I mean, I, we, I started the organization with another woman who um, had a lot of life changes and ended up leaving town. And so after that, I felt like I was kind of holding the reins pretty tightly just because it was like a really hard transition to go from having a partner and everything to being to feeling like not having a partner um and so now we're in a new phase we're really we're really trying to develop our staff who've been here for a while who are now moving into management positions so that yeah they'll be capable of yeah and they know i mean we have really really great infrastructure and systems in place as far as sharing information and I'm a big proponent of communication, maybe sometimes over communication, but I think (laughs) it's like so essential also for people's happiness because we all, I I worry about them burning out um, a lot. And so we're trying to be really good about, we have like a really generous vacation policy and it's like an expectation that you use all of your (laughs) vacation days so that you know, you have those moments to be rejuvenated. and But I don't know. I Yeah, I don't know yet. But I feel like we're ahead of the game and that we're thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> um, I want to pick your brain about one more thing and then I'm going to let you go because I know you're trying to take dance class tonight, a dancing class. Yeah. Um, First time all week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's kind of a two-part question. In all of the dance-related interviews in this sort of portion or series of episodes, I've been asking dancers and dance administrators and whatnot um, about the sort of uniqueness of dance. You know, everyone has a, not everyone can sing, not everyone can play an instrument, not everyone, you know, can, can make art with their hands. It's just not going to happen for a lot of people, but right. pretty much everyone can dance on some level. And I'd love to know your, your thought about that and how mm-hmm. that plays into the work that you do. But also, you know, we live in a country that doesn't have good public funding for the arts. I think that's part of why arts organizations hate doing fundraising right. because you're just begging for these enormous corporations right. to give you grants because there's not public funding. Right. So how do you how do you keep your passion for dance in what you what you do and how do you advocate for dance in the larger world that maybe doesn't appreciate it the way you do? <laughs> Quick. Okay. <laughs>
1: personal personal passion versus yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I will say that one of the biggest downsides of running Dancing Grounds is that dance has become my job. Right. Um, and so I am actually struggling with that question right now, especially as my body is getting older and it doesn't feel as good as it used to, especially (laughs) after spending a lot of time on computers all day to, I mean, that's just real. But, I mean, I think all the passion for dance stays because of the, com, the way it builds community, right? I mean, for me, I've always loved taking class. I'm not the type of person mm-hmm. that's like, wants to go out and showboat on the street freestyling. Like, I love being in a room with other people dancing and you know, speaking that dance vocabulary and, like, the eye contact with other people in the room of, like, ooh, that looked good or, like, yeah, you got that move. And yeah. So I think that, that really is what... I do feel fortunate in New Orleans around the arts and dance because people get that it matters because it's such a big part of the culture here. Um, So I always joke that it's true, that it's like an easy sell for us to tell a school that we want to do a program there because all of their kids are trying to dance all the time when the teachers are telling them to (laughs) sit down, you know? Yeah. It's just such a part. Um, it's such a part of the culture here. So I think that's really when we talk about it with funders too. Is just it's such an amazing entry point to something that everyone, like you said, can experience because everyone has a body. So therefore, anyone can dance. Despite the many people all the time that come up to me and say, "I can't dance. I'm terrified to go to dancing grounds." and no, the old proverb, if you can walk, you can dance. Even if you can't walk, actually, yeah, you can dance. Some of the so, best dancers
0: can't walk. Yeah,
1: so um, it's a big it's a big question. But, I, I mean, I think we're, we're at an interesting time where I, I do think, even if the funding community isn't getting there yet, I think the general public really sees the value in dance. And so that's, too, where we're trying to go fundraising-wise is going to working on our individual donor networks and the people who are members of the studio and passionate about us as being ambassadors and just like having a really wide network of people because then also we can be self-determining so we don't have to rely on someone else or frankly a corporation that might not be aligned with our values or you know we can really sustain ourselves within our big community
0: of people so that that's the dream Well, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show. I learned so much about what you do. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that's that. Laura Stein. What a lady. Happy almost fifth birthday to Dancing Grounds. Uh, You know, I do sometimes take class there. In fact, I will almost certainly make a very embarrassing appearance on television later this year in a Bounce Fitness class video. So we have that to look forward to, or not. If you missed the other dance episodes, catch Dave Herbert, Jerry Houlihan, and Curtis Thomas in previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. This is actually the last episode of the podcast as it used to be, or at least the last episode like this for a while. I began hosting a monthly-ish event after the election where smarty-pants people teach us about their field, so for the indefinite future, I'm switching this format over to those recordings. So check back for Marnie Carlin next week about food politics and how our groceries affect our votes. I got that backwards. And about how our votes affect our groceries. In the meantime, sign up for the newsletter, www.tinyletter.com slash so what do you do? And go eat some ice cream. It's so good. Enjoy it before you learn about the process. This is So What Do You Do? And I'm Colleen McLellan. See you next time.